Welcome to Blackbird, episode number 35. My name is James, and today I am talking about a topic that I have been curious about for some time. I'm joined by Mike Brecatelli of the Mike and Delic podcast, along with Landry Harmon, who you know from the very first episode of this podcast under the Urban Agorist name. We're going to be talking about psychedelics and their sort of physiological and mental and spiritual impact on the people who use them, um, along with a little bit of the politics behind it as well. Before we get into the interview, let me tell you once again about BU Enterprises. You remember my interview with Juliet Nail from episode number 30. Juliet is waiting for you to contact her so that she can help you get back into your body. I know that everyone is under a little bit of stress right now. And of course, taking care of your physical and mental health can be part of the recovery from that. Juliet is a yoga instructor. She does Pilates, that sort of thing. She has this online training program where you can learn from her how to be mindful of your breathing, of your posture, of the way that you and your body interact. So head over to buenterprises.com to get in touch with her today and let her know that I sent you. And with that, here is my chat with Mike Bracatelli and Landry Harmon. All right, Mike is it Brancatelli or Brancatelli? How do you say it? Yeah, it's like in between those two. Brancatelli. Brancatelli. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. welcome welcome to the show. Uh, you were highly recommended um, when I was out looking for psychedelic resources because I don't know shit about the, su- the subject. Um, so I wanted to talk to you. And then also Landry, who's been on the show before, a uh, good friend of mine who is also kind of into the subject and could probably ask even better questions and maybe lend some insight, um, decided to join us as well. So Mike, before we get too deep into the conversation, why don't you kind of give a rundown of who you are, what you do, what you've done, that kind of thing? Okay. Uh, I'm a human man. Uh, I, uh, I, I was, uh, I, I used to do stand up comedy. Then it, uh, I, I co-hosted part of the problem with Dave Smith until about 2016. I left, uh, started a show called Mike Adelic where the original idea was to sort of fuse the notion of, of liberty and psychedelics because I believe that they're very, they're very compatible and, um, just, uh, have been doing that ever since. And, uh, I, I worked in the Amazon rainforest at an ayahuasca center in Peru. I backpacked around Southeast Asia. I basically traveled around and got a lot of experience in the world, uh, different kinds of plant medicines and things of that nature. Then I came back uh, to the States, moved to Denver, helped uh, decriminalize mushrooms in Denver in 2019. And uh, now we're... we're looking at maybe a statewide campaign, but uh, still continuing to do Mikeadelic and I'm putting out a, another uh, episode or another um, podcast kind of sort of under the um, Mikeadelic umbrella that, that's a little bit more comedy oriented. Mm, cool. Uh, and then Landry, what have you been up to? Uh, let's see. Um, being a college student mostly, but uh, so I do a lot of stuff, photography, um, Getting back on my writing, I have a Substack, Landry.substack.com that I'm hopefully going to be writing more for this summer. Um, just kind of been in the Liberty space, generally speaking, for the past 
you know, since middle school, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's sort of who I am. All right, cool. Uh, so Mike, you were like, you were like Robbie Bernstein before being Robbie Bernstein was cool, huh? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, and you said that you left part of the problem to do your own thing. Like you weren't fired or whatever. No, I wasn't fired. I, I, I left pretty abruptly actually. Um, I just, uh, at the time I was working for gas digital network and I was also co-hosting part of the problem. And, uh, I had just got back from, uh, an immensely powerful ayahuasca experience in the jungles of Peru. And, um, I was, I was, uh, I was pretty blown open and a lot of things were changing for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I just kind of was like, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, so talk about, talk about that, I guess, first of all, what, what was that experience like for you? Um, both uh, like, you know, physically and I guess metaphysically. In Peru? Yeah. It was um, uh, profound. I mean, I, I don't know any other way to say it. It was uh, be, maybe beyond profound. I, my original intention was to, you know, I'd been ex- experimenting with psychedelics for a while, and I heard a lot about ayahuasca, uh, mainly from like Aubrey Marcus and Amber Lyon. Those were kind of my two em- entry points on, on JRE. And uh, I started to do more research about it. When I felt comfortable and I felt like I had chosen like a good, safe place, I went down there and I thought, okay, I, I'm going to get a little bit of this healing that everybody's been talking mm-hmm. about. <laughs> you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe figure out what's going on with my depression. And sometimes I feel like killing myself. What's up with that? You know, what, what's going on? And, um, you know, maybe I, I smoke too many cigarettes and I, I really should quit or I drink too much or sometimes I do other things that I don't like doing or I watch too much porn, right? Like I, I was like, man, I have these these habits that aren't so great and maybe I could get some some fixes for them. And uh, what ayahuasca did was it basically, uh, you know, shattered my my complete like idea of of anything that I thought was real or like true or, or I, I don't know. It just, it, it, I had a non-dual experience. I, I left my body. I transcended everything. It was, it was the most profound experience I ever had in my life. And so I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> a little bit more than I bargained for, but, uh, but it changed me deeply. Um, and it took a long time for me to kind of reorient after that, you know, to integrate back into, into my world. Um, but it was, uh, it was the most profound experience of my life and, and it definitely changed my life. And it, it brought me, it brought me a lot of the healing. It just didn't bring it to me in a way that I thought it would bring it to me in. And, uh, it, it, it provided me the experiences and feelings and information and wisdom that I, I had no idea even it was out there. So, or was did it me? Did it also help with the, the bad habits that you were trying to break or? Oh yeah. Just, I mean, it, okay. Totally did. Yeah, it did. It just, it just delivered it in a way that I wasn't expecting. I thought maybe, you know, I thought I was going to just like, oh, here's some, here's some stuff that you need to clean, clean your house with over here. But it, 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 it transported me to, you know, to, to God. I saw God. I became God to use that word because I think everybody knows that word, but you know, the mm-hmm. divine, the transcendent, you know, I went to the, the liminal realm. I was shattered into a million pieces and, and then I had to reconstruct those pieces with as, as new things. Yeah. So it was heavy, it was deep and it was definitely really magical and, and profound. Landry, can you kind of relate to that 
um, in your in your experiences? Yeah, yeah. For me, like my my introductory thing was um, Michael Pollan's book, uh, How to Change Your Mind, came out, and I was like reading about it about psychedelic drugs and you know these potential medical uses and stuff. And I think it's maybe the John Hopkins research. I forget which, but it's about like how many people under supervised therapy using psychedelics had a religious experience or a religious like experience that not just like a week after six months later, they think that's like in the top five things they've ever done in their life. Mm -hmm. Like top five choices to was to go under this treatment. Um, and for me, like growing up, in an evangelical Christian home or whatever, hearing about miracles, hearing about all this stuff, um, hearing about people see like eyeballs grow back in people's face, in people's heads or people um, speaking in tongues or whatever. For me, I like, I never saw that. I never experienced that. Like religion was a sort of cold, dead experience to me, but I was still very intimately interested in like a divinity or some kind of um, something else, something more, right. Something more than just the material world. So that kind of began my fascination with like the psychedelic realm. Um, and yeah, I, like for me is, it's helped a lot. Like uh, I deal a lot with anxiety and a lot, or at least psychedelics helped me show, helped show me that these inner states, your the state of mind you have, like you have a lot more control over those states, that state of mind than you think you do. Right. And obviously that's somewhat cliche, but it's like another thing to know, have to have an intimate experience with seeing how your impression, how you shape your own mental state. Um, so yeah, there's like, yeah, I, I totally, I mean, I, I haven't done ayahuasca in Peru as much as I would love to, but um, yeah, I can relate to that on a small level for sure. Would you say, is there a big difference between like actually going to South America and um, doing an ayahuasca ceremony sort of embedded in the indigenous communities there um, between that and like going to Vegas or LA or where, or Florida or wherever else they're doing the, the kind of pop-up ayahuasca ceremonies with, you know, like a, maybe an American shaman or, or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Massive difference. Yeah. 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 Massive. Yeah. It's uh, so I worked with the Shipibo people uh, who are indigenous to uh, the, the, the jungles of Peru, I believe their home is Pucallpa. And, um, they're, they're sort of known as like the, the warrior shamans. They hid and protected their, uh, secrets from the conquistadors, you know, um, and, and remained intact, you know, their, their tribe remained in, intact. And, um, and, and so they, they have, um, you know, they just have a deep wisdom, you know, not all of them, of course, uh, there's, you know, people are people wherever you go, but generally speaking, the, the people that I've worked with who take it really, really seriously, like this is their life. Some of them have started training, uh, since they were like 13, um, even younger maybe. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's something about being in the, in the home of where the medicine comes from, where the plant comes from, where ayahuasca comes from and, and working with these people who are really truly experts. Um, there's just nothing else like it. What kind of preparation did you, <clears throat> did you need to do before, before actually undergoing the ceremony? They recommend about two weeks prior to drinking that you um, really eliminate all fat, all sugar, all salt. Um, 
no pork, no sex, no masturbation. It's they really you really want to try and kind of purify yourself to use that word that I don't really like so much, but <laughs> it's really just clean your system out mm-hmm. and open open yourself up so that you can receive the the fullest of uh, of what they're offering. What about um like mental mentally or spiritually? Did you do a lot of pre-work there? The first time I went, uh, not really. I uh, sort of, I think I had more like to Landry's point, he was, you know, kind of talking about having this understanding. I had more of a uh, intellectual grasping of, of the concepts uh, or, you know, things of that nature, but I, I didn't really have the embodied sort of felt sense of, of what this thing requires of you. Uh, I got that after. Um, after that, I started to sort of get more into breath work and meditation and things like that. Beforehand, I was kind of more of just like a psychonaut who was just exploring and not really on the spiritual end of things, although I was interested, but more from an intellectual point. So That's probably pretty typical of libertarians as well, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what uh, what would you say is like the major difference between doing like an ayahuasca, like a ceremonial, almost religious ritual um, and just doing shrooms with your buddies or on your own or whatever? Uh, So I'm not going to disparage that because I do that. You know, I think it's fun. I think they all have their place. Um, And I think that they can be ceremonial and ritual in their own ways. You know, doing shrooms with your buddies can be a ritual. It could be fun. It could be ceremonial. It could be profound. It could be spiritual. It could be all those things. Uh, I think that um, there is something, though, to... I think that us human beings really do crave that desire to be in a place of like magnificent beauty and awe and, and reverence where, you know, you walk into like a, a cathedral, like a Catholic cathedral or something, and it's painted in the stained glass. And it's like, Oh, you know, and there's a, there's a majesty that's like calling you up to something higher. And I think that the, the ceremonial way in Peru with the Shipibo uh, is that way. And any, any way where you're doing it in an intentional way and, and gathering to really, uh, honor and respect what you're partaking in. And, and, you know, I think that also having sort of tangible sort of objects and music and song, it it really reinforces the, uh, the experience. It really like, um, brings, brings it out more, creates more, um, it has more impact, uh, I think. Yeah. To me, it sounds like just sort of the, the, like, Throughout all religions, there's basically the idea of like a pilgrimage, right? Someone having an intent journey somewhere, right? And I think that's also part of the aspect, right? You're going to another country, you're going to a foreign land, and there's a lot of things you have to consider and think about. So you're really kind of meditating on the process of even getting there in the first place. What is it going to be like? So it kind of consumes you in that way, which I think, you know, is like saying maybe flying to Florida to see some Airbnb pop-up shaman or whatever is not going to be maybe the same level of depth or whatever. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Landry. It's like, it's got that, that hero's journey element to it for sure. You know, venturing into the unknown and, and coming back with new eyes, you know? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, what about, what about like, 
I guess I, I'm such a I'm such a neophyte when it comes to this kind of thing. I don't even really know the difference between like uh, um, ayahuasca and peyote and um, like just the shrooms that you might grow in your basement or your shower um, and and like the manufactured stuff too, like LSD. Uh, is there are there major differences between these things, or is it just the the opening up of the pineal gland or whatever that that actually matters when it comes to this kind of thing? Yeah, I think there's there's major differences. You know, I think that um, you know what what's the difference between uh, a cookout, you know, with a, a neighborhood cookout with like a black family, and you know they they're they're grilling and they got the oh, party going, and then you just like you know making a burger and you're George Foreman. It's it's you're still you're still eating meat and you're still you know doing that thing. But there's a different effect. There's a different thing that comes with it. So you know, they're all. There's just the chemical compounds that are mm-hmm. different, right? I mean, that's the ba- the basic thing is that there's different plants, there's different fungi species, uh, different substances, different um, chemical compounds that uh, react with your, uh, you know, like meat computer <laughs> in, in, a, in, a, in a different way, right? So it's like different softwares plugging into your hardware, essentially. And then the ritual and the ceremony and the tradition and, and those kinds of things or the research or the studies or the therapeutic effects will are built on top of that, you know, to, to, to vary various different modalities, right? I mean, um, there's people that microdose ayahuasca. I don't do that. You know, there's, there's people that uh, go on vision quests in the desert with peyote. That seems to be kind of a a place where that is more likely to happen than somewhere like in you know Alaska or something. But so so it's just I think it's uh, the chemical compound, the the people of the land who have discovered this these substances and how they have mythologized them. Mm-hmm. You know their mythology, their cosmology, and what the stories that they've created and built around it. The the culture and, um, and that becomes tradition. And, and so that, uh, and I think they all expect, uh, they all affect the experience. I think, you know, I'm a big fan of, um, Rupert Sheldrake and his morphic resonance theory, where it's like this kind of epigenetic memory that's attached with, uh, the feedback loop of like us ingesting substances and how it changes based upon who's doing it when, why, where, how, and what they think about it and the stories that they create about it. Yeah, that brings up a good point, I guess. I I assume just, you know, being that every other substance does this, uh, I assume that it would be like a hyper-individualistic thing where, you know, maybe, maybe peyote and you get along real well, whereas peyote and me might be disastrous. Is that, is that common? Is that the, the way it works? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Um, what about what about a bad trip? Like, wh- what is that? What is that like? Has it ever happened to you? Um, and how can someone like avoid it? I guess. <laughs> well, I think avoiding the bad trip is the bad trip. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that um, we you know we often we have to look at, at the world that we live in in terms of binary you know good and bad or or whatever but it's oftentimes a lot more gray and nuanced than that so i'd like i'd i'd like to say challenging trips um you know because i think that for me the i think a, for for me psychedelics and theogens um are hyper real they when i go into those realms i'm confronted with things that have been maybe buried in my 
unconscious deeply or trauma or wounds that are stored in my body that I didn't know were there or couldn't visualize or, or put or articulate in any way. And it, and it confronts you. It confronts you with, with this in an undeniable way. And it says, mm-hmm. you better not, you better, you better answer this. Like you better take care of this shit that we're showing you here in this metaphorical dreamlike form in this beautiful alien fractal multiverse form. You better, you better address this shit. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're off balance. Your life is out of alignment. So when the, when people say they have bad trips, it's usually for a couple of reasons. One would be, Hey, let's take five grams at this disco biscuit show and see what happens. You know, just like with no preparation, no knowledge, who'd you get it from? I don't know. Um, and you're drinking alcohol and you're doing other things. And all of a sudden something comes up in that, you know, that, that space, uh, something is made visible in this psychedelic space that you don't really want to see something about your, your mom yelled at you when you were a kid and how that impacted you or some teacher said something or whatever it was, or you did something wrong. And it's like showing that to you. And that's not to say that, that that's always the case, but that can be the case if you haven't sort of you know, to borrow Jordan Peterson's phrase, like clean your room. Like if you haven't got your house in order and you're not like living in alignment, you're going to have bad trips because the bad trip is a conflict within yourself. It's something that you're, that's not right within you. And when you're in conflict, you're, you're not going to have a good time. Yeah. I think there's also like, for me, I've had experiences where I've had a bad trip because I wanted a good trip too much. You know, like I was bringing, I was, I was stuck. I was, trying to impress so much on what I wanted to get out of it that I was trying to control what I wanted out of it rather than receive what it was going to give to me. Right. Um, so I think that's also part of it is just like, what is your mindset of set and setting is, you know, the famous thing. Right. So it's like, what is your mindset that you're bringing into it? And then where are you at in terms of like just physical location, even what are you, what, how, what is your relationship to the environment you're around? And that's going to also impact how you're receiving the trip. So those things go into it and can produce a more challenging trip than not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. La- la- that, that's a good point, Landry. I just want to say that, that, that it's, a, it's really about surrendering. You know, I, th- I think when, before taking these things, you have to say, I am up for anything that, that happens. Like I'm up for anything that comes and really mean it, you know, otherwise it's going to be really bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mike, had you, uh, so I guess that kind of gets back to the, the, the preparation work then. Um, when you went on, when you went to that first ayahuasca ceremony, had you done that? Had you cleaned your room and prepared yourself properly? Or, I mean, was it a, was it a real challenge for you? Uh, it, it, I had to a certain degree. Uh, I, I had been work. I've been doing a lot of like intentional mushroom ceremonies by myself. Mm-hmm. So I've been like, I've been doing that. And, and I, you know, I did sort of do a bit of a preparation, but also, like I said, like I had these things that were out of balance too. So I knew that at the time I, I had enough experience where I've been doing it for a number of years where I was like, okay, well, I know I have to surrender. I know I have to get out of my mind, you know, any expectation I have about like, whatever, if I heard Aubrey Marcus talking about how he saw this dragon or whatever the thing was, just get it out of my mind and, and surrender. And so, uh, what I was really trying to, <laughs> I was really trying to not try. <laughs> yeah. Landry, what about you? What was like 
what was it like for you first getting started? Oh, as in like seeking him out or what do you mean exactly? Like, like, did you, did you, did you prepare for it similarly? And, yeah. and, oh, and if you did or didn't, I mean, what was it like when you, uh, when you kind of went through with, with actually consuming it? Right. So my, my first trip actually was, um, in Amsterdam, which was, I went to, and it was a good trip for me and maybe a good trip for people who might be more anxious in terms of like the illegality aspect of it or not knowing what they're getting or whatever. But mm-hmm. it was really cool just to see what also a legal future could look like in terms of psychedelics, because you go to Amsterdam and you're going to, or you go to a smart shop or head shop, I forgot the name of it. And then there's a guy in there who literally has like a tier list of like how challenging or how potent do you want to go? Like he gives you advice. Like he's like, you know, a, a sommelier um, basically giving you, you know, what uh, have you taken trips before whatever. So um, that was my like first experience. It was a pretty light experience though, but um, I didn't really go into it with much uh, in terms of like, I didn't know what I should be doing with it or what I really wanted to get out of it. I just was kind of curious and just wanted to experience it. I um, mean, it was a pleasant experience. I don't know if it, it, that first experience for me maybe wasn't the most transformational looking back as terms of like now having a better sense of value uh, relatively. Um, but yeah, I, so that's sort of how I went about it first. I kind of just kind of went into it with a curiosity and received from it what I could, you know, so. I have heard that um, like your first psychedelic experience, or maybe, I don't know, maybe even subsequent ones, um, you want to have someone there to kind of babysit you. Is that, is that real? Yeah. They call it a, like a trip sitter. Okay. <clears throat> I th- yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's a safe bet. You know, um, I think, uh, you know, for me, the first time I took mushrooms, I think I was 15 and, uh, you know, I, so I had been taking psychedelics for a while, but I just didn't know shit. Like I was just taking them just like they were just drugs to get me high. Right. And like me and my friends would just laugh and have a good time. And, Mm -hmm. and so, but there's definitely, there's something to be said about that too, of just like, Hey, you and your buddies want to just like go for a hike or, you know, you're, you're camping, take some mushrooms. You all take them. You don't necessarily need someone there to babysit you. You know, you, you all know what you're doing. You're, you're hanging out, you're having a good time. But if you want to go deep, I guess a lot of the stuff that I've been referring to is kind of more of the deeper ceremonial stuff. Um, so if you want to go really deep and I, I guess that's, you know, anything over like five grams, I would say of mushrooms. Um, and you know, ayahuasca is definitely that I would say DMT, you know, um, a large, large dose of anything, you know, with, if you're like, Hey, I want to really go into this realm. Right. And it's about going somewhere else to another dimension. Uh, then yeah, having someone sit by and, and make sure that you don't like, you know, do anything harmful or mm-hmm. stupid is good. Leonard, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I think it's just like, again, like your mind is in another place. It's like, think of like the kind of idea of like astral projection. You're like almost leaving your body in that Mm -hmm. sense. It gives you some relief when you're in another place that someone's taking care of your body and someone's taking care of you uh, when you're not there. Right. Or when you're not like present, you know? So I think that's like a, maybe a way you could, you could talk about it. But um, I think for P I mean, for me, I, again, I think it's somewhat dependent on, on, yeah. How potent do you want to go? How far are you going to go? Um, there's definitely aspects of that where having someone there to just calm you down during more intense parts of it can be helpful. Um, and then for people who are just like uh, completely 
unaware, but they want to, or they're completely into it and they want to try, but they're maybe anxious, then I think having someone who's experienced it before can be a good way to go about it your first time or first couple of times too. So yeah, for sure. Mike, you mentioned earlier that you saw God and realized that you are God. Do you want to, do you want to dig into that a little bit? <laughs> uh, no, I think it speaks for itself. Um, yeah, sure. Of course. I, I think that, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to explain, right? I think that's why I love psychedelics so much. Uh, mm-hmm. I love, I love the, these things so much because it is just an undeniable direct experience, you know, and, and when other people have them as well, that there's, there's kind of more of an understanding of like what, you know, what we're, we're, we're for, what we're pointing to because it can never really be captured. But essentially, I was in a completely blissful and euphoric state, like nothing I've ever experienced before. And then I, I guess, felt like, um, like I was dying or something, but it was great. I mean, I didn't really care. I was like crying, um, but I was completely happy. And then I just became nothing. Like I, I just burst into this like ball of, of white light. I actually had an image before that happened of, uh, Buddha and Jesus, like, as I know them to be in their, like, you know, in the, in the forms in which we've created them as, and, and they sort of like merged and then explosion. It was like an orgasmic explosion and it was just total like love and, 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 you know, ultimate, just the, the feeling that you get when you just feel so loved and euphoric and just like, Oh my God, it was just, it was just like, unlike anything I've ever experienced. And and I just wasn't there. There was no Mike Brancatelli. There was no body or form. It was formless. And, um, it was like very peaceful and, um, yeah. And then afterwards I, I came back into my body and I was like a little depressed. I was like, man, that was, I want to go back there. That was great. Like that must be that must be what, what God is. <laughs> having, uh, having grown up Catholic and gone to Catholic schools and that sort of thing, that reminds me a little bit of going on weekend-long spiritual retreats. Uh, like on Monday, you, you, you only want to go back to the, to the retreat site. I would imagine it's not quite as powerful, um, but I, I think I can kind of relate, and my religious listeners can probably do the same. I think that's something that's really interesting, at least for me as like, you know, maybe uh, a post-Christian, I guess I could call myself, is that the the West and going all the way back to, you know, for your religious listeners, going back to the tabernacle, right? Like mm-hmm. there is a, there is a, uh, um, a separation of the sacred, right? The sacred is kind of revered, you know, they would tie the rope around the feet of the high priest as they would go into the innermost, mm-hmm. the Holy of Holies, right? And to me, this is like, it's a somewhat of an egalitarian experience in terms of like anybody who wants to go along this road can have that, that like experience with the divine, right? Whereas like, to, there's some problem in the West where we have like created so many structures around whatever that sacred is, right? That have kept people out, right? Or even dead in it because there's so much like bureaucracy, you know, in terms of like uh, spirituality, right? Um, so I think that's another way and or aspect of the psychedelic experience that's really nice it's just like for people who may who for people who are not fulfilled in their spiritual life in the sense that like they don't think they're getting anything from out, out of it there's definitely something um definitive you could get out of these experiences for sure so 
So it's almost, I mean, it's almost like a, like an ordination ritual in addition to, in addition to a, like what spiritual or psych, psychological, I guess, um, psychophysiological, that's probably right. Uh, <laughs> experience. I mean, it, it's, it's like a sacrament. Mm. Yeah. I'd say so. Huh. Yeah. It's definitely a, a, an initiation as well. You know, I think that there's, um, it changes you. You become. You sort of become something else. There's a death and rebirth. Um, you, for what I'm talking about specifically, in in that sort of non-dual experience that I had. Yeah. So it's all seven sacraments then. <laughs> um, actually, one of the sacraments, uh, matrimony. How has it has it impacted your interpersonal relationships? Yeah, uh, tremendously. Um, in so many ways. I mean, I, th- I think, I think ultimately the first relationship was the relationship that I have with myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, realizing that pretty much the way that I had, the way that I treat myself, the way I talk to myself, how I think about myself, uh, all those kinds of things also seep out into the relationships that I have with others. Um, so, you know, it's it's changed it tremendously, um, tremendously, and continues to primarily positively. Or have there? Yes. I mean, obviously, I think I think there's a difference between positive as in healthy and positive as in like the surface level positivity. Oh yeah, we're buddies. Or oh yeah, I, sure, I love my wife. Or you know, whatever it is. Um, like, have you have you had relationships end for for instance because of? your like newfound confidence or something like that? Well, so uh, after I came back from that journey in Peru in 2016, um, I had a lot of things end. I had a relationship end. I had friendships end. Yeah. Uh, I had a job end. I left the podcast that I was on. I left the network that I was working for. Like everything crumbled to dust. Um, yeah, I happened to be reading a book called The End of Your World by a uh, spiritual teacher, Ajishante. And he, um, you know, anything that wasn't serving me in my truest and highest good, uh, and that wasn't directly in alignment with who I am or who I want to be crumbled. And, and it just, it, it, it was like, this is not serving you anymore. Goodbye. And it's, it's difficult. It's challenging. Um, but, uh, as I picked up the pieces, then I started attracting people that were in my, um, you know, that were, that were right for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, prior to that, things would happen. I go, why that happen? You know, what, why can't this person just see it? And then after that, all that kind of shifted and changed. It, it, it felt like I was like a dusty magnet that had a bunch of crap on it. And then it got cleaned off. And now I'm like a, a magnet that can really attract what I want. And once I started doing that, I didn't really worry about all the other stuff. I, I guess that's one of my bigger worries, actually, um, is that I'm going to... So I, I work a job and I like my job, but I wouldn't say that it's like my calling or whatever. Um that said, if I were to just up and quit my job, I would be financially devastated. So if I went, yeah. if I went and got this, you know, this ability, like the, the mental permission to give my, giving myself the mental permission to, you know, end, end my employment with my employer, uh, and then just do whatever comes next, figure out what I'm called to. Um, maybe I already did it at this, at this ceremony. Um, 
And then a week later, like, you know, the euphoria is worn off and here I am broke and desperately in need of employment. I mean, what, what, uh, what's that like? Like, well, I mean, I, I would say you can't really think about it like that because yeah. you don't, you never know, you, you never know what's going to happen, you know? And I think that that's the true nature of surrendering, like being not, not, af- not afraid of, of like, Hey, whatever happens, happens, you know? And I think that, um, for me, I, I really find, I mean, I, I was devastated. I was, I was, my heart was broken. I was financially devastated. I moved back into my parents' house for the first time since I was 18, uh, since leaving at 18. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, but I think that um, there's a value to that. There's a value to, for me, I take value in jumping, leaping, taking the risk, knowing that I might perish, <laughs> you know, and seeing if I can make it. And it wasn't some kind of like euphoric illusion. It was a dramatic shift in how I was living my life. Because um, I've had those before too. I've had dramatic illusions like, I've I've had things where I'm like, man, I'm so euphoric and this is what I want to do. And then a few weeks later, be like, oh, that was kind of wrong. But, uh, but you learn, right? I think that like you, you either take the risk and learn or, um, just not do that, (laughs) (laughs) but you have to be willing to, I think, I think that's the thing I was willing to, I, I think I'm the kind of person that I'm willing to lose everything to be who I truly am and to be the best of who I truly am. And I really mean that. I'm willing to lose it all. Do you think that's a prerequisite? Should someone who isn't in that mindset move forward with sort of ritual psychedelic experiences? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, think, I think I'm a big believer in like if it calls to you. If you... if. We, we, we all can, we all know the times where we feel like maybe we should have done something, but we didn't. And we're like, ah, damn, I should have done that. Or maybe I should have acted in a certain way and I didn't. And I kind of regret it. Oh man, I was kind of a dick there. Why was I being like that? You know? So it's like, I think that listening to that voice, you know, inside, um, and, and that's the only, that is the only thing that I try and like, and I don't, you know, answer to anybody except for, for myself. I mean, neither, and none of us can, you know, it's like, there's this great quote in this movie, the kingdom of heaven, where, uh, the, the, the king of Jerusalem says to Orlando Bloom's character, he's like, you can't, you cannot stand before God and say, Oh, but I did this because of this person, or I did this because they made me do it. Or he's like, that won't suffice. You know, it's, it's only, you, you can only answer to yourself. And so, so, so each person has to come to that conclusion. And, and for me, it was, it was desperation. I felt great pain. I felt great conflict. And I'm like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to, to feel better. What about you, Landry? I know, uh, 2020 was kind of a shitty year for you. Um, just Ah. mental health and relationship and everything wise Mm -hmm. have, have you dealt with that using psychedelics? Yeah. I mean, so Basically, I was at a point um, this like past past couple of months where I was just really alone in terms of just like I'm dealing with online classes and I'm not, you know, I love to learn. But like when you're in a classroom with teachers that like have never been, you know, they didn't get their job because they're uh, charismatic and good on screen. (laughs) You know, they got their job because they have like a, a very niche level of research and a particular topic, right? That's why professors get their jobs. So most of them are very dull and boring. And just just the experience of just like 
classes were not fun. Anyway, so it's like, it was that. It was like friend groups falling apart. It was being stuck in an apartment all the time in terms of just like, I didn't have, I would go out, but like, I didn't have anybody to really see. So yeah, I was just at a point where I was like, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't really know what to reach out for. And like, I literally like started looking up online how to grow mushrooms on my own. And that's what I like ended up doing. And that's like what I pointed to for help. And in like, in a way it was double faceted in the sense that like, I got the help not only from the psychedelics, but even the pursuit of like learning how to grow them and doing this whole thing, right? Like, again, it's like like that journey part, right? Which is like getting to that conclusion or getting to that moment was as much uh, instruction to me than the experience itself. Um, And like, for me in those experiences, what I've gotten, especially recently was just like, just like my, my, my complacency, right? And I think I had a really visceral experience of like the clock is ticking. And I don't mean the clock ticking as in like a threatening way, like a bomb's ticking and you need to do something about it. But like um, the shot was fired and the the time is ticking and you need to run your race. Right. Mm-hmm. And like you can't sit, you can't be a, a, a voyeur in your own life. You can't be someone on the sidelines. Right. When it's your race to run. Um, and so like for me, it really pushed me out of the passivity that I think I was sitting in, which was just like, letting life come by when, again, like realizing you're a more active agent in your own mind and you're an active agent in your own life, right? And I think that's like the, that again, the undeniable visceral experience that psychedelics gives you really solidified that in my mind and has helped a lot. So yeah, um, it's like, for me, I've, I like went through so much darkness this past year in time, in terms of like inside my mind that now I'm starting to see on the other side that like how much of it was worth it, right? This past year was worth it. So um, yeah, that's that's what I would say. So um, Mike, you promote promote a thing called Fungi Academy, I believe, right? Yeah. Is, would you, would you recommend that for a, for a noob or is that more for people who have experience with psychedelics? Oh yeah, definitely. I definitely for a noob because it's um, like Landry was saying, I mean, Landry, you seem like you're a little bit wiser beyond your years, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it, it can be difficult to find out all the information that you want to find out about, about these things. Definitely. You know, you, you can do the work yourself like Landry has, like I have, you know, and uh, my latest guest was uh, Jasper, CEO of Fungi Academy. And we were both talking about that, like back, you know, there's the, so he's, he's created this kind of one-stop shop and um, you go on there and they have instructional videos and they break it down like segment by segment. Like, what is this? What's, you know, what's the differences here? So, and they have like 75 videos. It's really great. And they're fun. Not like these dry, you know, videos <laughs> like you were referring to Landry. They're, they're really fun guys, uh, pun intended. Uh-huh. And, um, and uh, yeah, so they're my, my latest sponsor and you get 25% off if you uh, sign up with Mike Adelic. So check that out. Plug. Yeah. It's not super cheap, but uh, with the twenty five percent off, I think it's probably doable for most people who are intensely curious about this. Um, it's I'm also s- yes, yeah. Uh, look, just as a, like as someone who's had to teach myself, it's just I think part of of just even starting is just like there is a lot of information on a lot of different places, and it takes a long time to before you even start the process, just like solidifying 
and like, oh, this thing is contrary to this other thing here. And like this person said that. So it's like, it is nice to have like one source that has like videos or whatever, right? Um, that you can get one experience or like get one kind of engaged teacher from that than like having 20 million people say different things to you. And then you just kind of have to experiment on your own. And then sometimes it doesn't work. And then that, you know, and it's like, it always take a long time just in terms of like uh, growing mushrooms or whatever. And if like you mess something up, it's like a two month mistake. You kind of have to like, you know, so. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even like, uh, you know, and there's even squabbling in the psychedelic forums as well. Like, no, that's not yeah. the right way to do it. Oh, Fuck God. you. You're not a real psych. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so, it, it's, so it's like, you have to sift through all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's so nice to just have like a one-stop shop for all that. And yeah, it's great. Definitely. Mike, you made a pun a second ago, um, and I know we both appreciate it. Uh, has has this ex- this experience, this you know, several year experience, um, impacted your comedy? So yeah, I mean, I feel uh, more reinvigorated with that. I think you know, if you listen to, if you have been a listener of Mike Adelic since I started, you'll see the evolution of it, like in all the phases that I've that I've went through. Cause I guess, you know, I've always been like a seeker of truth, wisdom, something real, something more beyond. Um, and so, uh, that's what initially I, I got out of comedy and I got out of kind of the daily political kind of stuff that we were covering on part of the problem. I was able to be funny on that show too and stuff, but it was just not how I wanted it to be. So, um, I feel that I've kind of had a re, you know, reemergence of just uh, wanting to be funny and express myself in a funny way. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've I've been doing this show now called Dosadelic with um, my my co-host Matt, who's a young guy, and we just um, get high and have fun and and talk shit, and it's really liberating. It's really freeing. I've been putting it out on my Patreon. I've put a couple of episodes out on Mikeadelic, but it's a very different tone, you know, um, for, I think a lot of people. Yeah. Anyway, just to answer your question. Yes. Yes, it has. It has, it has. And, and I think the pandemic, I think with everything being so heavy and so serious and so crazy and, you know, it's like, get it, just, it's, it's too much sometimes. I want to just be able to like let loose and just like make some dick jokes, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, uh, uh, on psychedelics and humor, I think there is like a very, um, good or like there's a very transfer transformational aspect in the sense of like, you kind of get a meta perspective after taking some stuff, right? Like they're just like concepts that are, are, uh, you know, quotidian or kind of domestic or whatever for you kind of become like odd, right? It's like seeing seeing a word that you've seen spelled a million times the same way, but it's in a different font and it kind of looks weird to you now. You know, it's like you get, you get that experience with a lot of things, right? And I think you can see like in Joe Rogan's humor or stand-up or like um, Duncan Trussell is another one, right? Like psychedelics have a very good um, relationship with like observational humor in that way. So anyways, that's, that's my perspective at least. Yeah, def- no, definitely. That's a great, great point. It, it, it definitely gives you a, a new perspective on everything that you've probably seen before, you know, cause by the time you're like 30, you're, you're kind of like, all right, I've like seen everything kind of like I get yes. like, th- I, I, I understand things in the world. Like, you know, I've seen water bottles before, but if you're on some mushrooms, you're going to be like, Whoa, like there's something different about this. Maybe there's something really, really fucking funny about it. And right. there you go. You know? Yes. Yeah, like, I think like, like, 
you know, it's like children seeing things for the first time, you know, like seeing children at a zoo, right? They're seeing like an elephant. I was, you know, I was at a zoo a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, actually. And just hearing children like see a, a giraffe for the first time and like being amazed by it. It was like, you realize as you age, because we, at least we, we, we perceive ourselves to see, like we're seeing less things new. Like we're getting, we have normals. We have like, you know, all this stuff out here that we've seen a million times and it's the same. Yeah. It's because really we're not looking close enough, right? We, we kind of close ourselves up as we age because uh, we're pattern recognizing animals. And we think we've recognized the pattern a long time ago. And really, if you look closer, there's a lot more patterns to see, you know? So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit into sort of the critics of psychedelics, um, you hear, I think actually Jordan Peterson, who you mentioned earlier, quotes Jung, who uh, I think I think the quote was like, beware of unearned wisdom. Um, have you heard that? Have you thought about it? Do you have thoughts on it? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm doing a Jordan Peterson impression. You know, <laughs> Carl Jung has a great bloody quote, man. It's, you know, be prepared of the the wisdom that you haven't earned because you haven't cleaned your damn room yet. All right. That's great. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, sometimes I break out a little little JP. But uh but yes, I do think there's something to that, you know. I, I think especially at high at high doses. Like I think mm-hmm. that there's it's different when you're kind of dabbling, you know, you're going to a concert, you're going to a festival, whatever, you take a little bit of something, but it's not you know, that, but if you're journeying, if you're diving deep, yeah, you know, cause you're, you're going to, you're going to talk to God and, and you better be ready for what he tells you because you can't be like, yeah, man, I guess, yeah, I'll kind of take care of that again or whatever. No, it's like, it's, it's like, uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark when they open the ark, you know, the, the power can melt your fucking face off. Um, if you're not, ready for that. So, you know, I think that, that, that you have to go into interacting with these things with, with great reverence and respect. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely, I see them as, as great tools and great teachers, you know, someone, someone that's, there's some kid in a class that's like acting up and, you know, doing all kinds of bullshit and the, but the teacher is like phenomenal. You, you kind of want to be like, Hey man, this teacher is awesome. Can you yeah. shut the fuck up, please? Because this teacher is like killing it right now. Um, so I think there's something to to be said about that for sure. Yeah. Um, so speaking of festivals, why why is there so much overlap between music festivals, specifically electronic music and psychedelics? Uh, and and I'll I'll add the very first time I ever smelled weed was either at Van Halen or Smashing Pumpkins concert, which is not the kind of concert that you're going to predominantly see people tripping. Um, Why is there that overlap with electronic music specifically? It's primal. Mm. It's, it, 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 there's, it liberates you, you know, like it's one of my, my favorite things to do is take a bunch of psychedelics and um, dance like a weirdo with a bunch of other people that are doing the same thing. It's really freeing. You know, I think about that, that, that scene in the, the matrix where they're in Zion and it's just like this wild, you know, party. And it's like, there's, there's, it's like tribal. It's, it's freeing. It, it just, it brings you right into your body and you're just having this direct experience with other people around you and this music that is just like thumping loudly. And it's, really fun. Yeah. 
I think a lot of like a lot of festivals, like EDM scenes, right? It's like MDMA is sort of the drug of choice in a lot of those places. In addition to psychedelics, I think psychedelics are also used, but um, th- that's just like a very social drug. And like, what's better than dancing to like 120 beats per minute to like other people around you and feeling really good, feeling you know, kind of a sexual energy, right? Like that's kind of the common it's MDA. It, you, you could correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I think MDMA is sort of like different in terms of the chemistry compared to the traditional psychedelics, right? It's kind of adjacent, yeah. but right. not, yeah, not you're fully. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, to- totally. And, and just one more thing about that is that because we all deeply, deeply desire like community and connection and love right. and like to, when you find yourself in that environment, you know, it's just like, there's just nothing else. We, we crave it. We're, we're missing it. We don't really get that, you know, indigenous, uh, peoples would dance and, and sing and bang a drum, uh, for hours, uh, routinely, you know, and, uh, we just don't really get to do that so much anymore. But when we get the opportunity to do that, man, does it feel good. And, and, and it can be on psychedelics at like a side trans show, or it could be MDMA at an EDM show, or it could just be, you know, drinking and, and smoking cannabis and getting into a mosh pit. You know, it's just, it's the sense of community and connection, I think as well. Right. MDMA for the, the noobs is Molly, right? Yeah. And that's, yeah. Yeah. that's like the, that's like ecstasy, but the sort of purest form or whatever, is that? Yeah. Okay. That's a chemical compound that Alexander Shulgin invented was uh, MDMA. Okay. Landry, were you rolling your eyes just then, or no, no, no? I was just like, the, I'm trying the, to remember. The video of this like isn't weird... coming out, but uh, but I saw you. I saw your eyes go in the back of your head, so I want to make sure that you're saying what's on your mind. I I'm just trying to remember if there was like there's something about the chemical structure of like what we would call ecstasy and what we would call Molly or something like that. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, that's what no, I was trying to right. remember. Yeah, what what we used to call ecstasy was typically typically. Because it, it typically uh, was was mixed with uh, methamphetamine. Okay. Um, it, it was because t- it you know it it kind of gave you more of like a upper kind of feel right. to it. MDMA is not like that. MDMA pure MDMA is uh, is just a very heart opening, uh, empathetic kind of euphoric present state of being. Um, and then Molly that, you know, there's, there's other things that are, that are mixed in with these things, but when we're talking about pure MDMA, like what maps is doing with their research with, uh, PTSD and veterans, mm-hmm. they're using MDMA. They're not like, you know, giving them ecstasy. <laughs> hey, take some ecstasy. You guys, we're going to put on some, <laughs> you know, um, fucking tech techno music or something. Right. So yeah, it's, it's gone through many stages, you know, of, of like what it, what it's mixed with and things. Yeah. What's the difference in the yeah. like physiological or whatever experience between uh, doing MDMA and say shrooms? It's like a dopamine thing, right? Like I think, right. Or serotonin or serotonin, isn't it? It's like that MDMA just like basically clogs your system full of the stuff, which is like why uh, it, it, oh, there's a, you can, you can get your, like you, that buildup is uh, can become toxic if you like overuse it, for example. So like a lot of people recommend like three months in between usages because you're basically like all of your body's serotonin and dopamine are coming out at once. So like after it, you can get really, you can feel really drained. And you, some people, depending on individuals reactions can be like get really depressed after it as well. Um, which I think is like different than what a psychedelic experience does. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is different. And, and, uh, 
there's things that you can do beforehand and after. Um, oh, right. When, when, when using MDMA, you know, one of the things is taking 5-HTP. Um, there's some other stuff. But yeah, it's, it's more... Um, it's, I don't know the the right word for it, but it's like, it's kind of like forcing your body to release things. Whereas, uh, did you guys freeze? Oh, so, uh, psilocybin is, um, is, is quieting this default mode network in your brain and allowing other areas to sort of communicate with each other where it's the other one is like, Hey, turn that serotonin valve all the way on. Mm-hmm. This one is like, Hey, let's like take things down a little bit. Um, so when it comes to dosing, is there, uh, like if, if someone's a lightweight, they get drunk real easily or they get high real easily. If they, if they take one puff of, of a joint, is that, is, does that correlate into psychedelics as well? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's why I always recommend everybody to just, you know, start slow and, Mm -hmm. and small and see how you react with it. Right. It's like, Exactly what you said is what, what's, what is, you don't know what your reaction is going to be. Yeah. It might not, it might not be for you. You know, it might, uh-huh. it might, it might, like recently I've actually taken a break off of uh, smoking cannabis. I feel really good um, because I noticed that the, sometimes I'm like a little out of balance with it. So I think it's all about being in right relationship with it. You know, if you, if you take something and it doesn't feel good to you, then maybe it's just not really for you, you know? So yeah, I think there's, there's something to that. What is microdosing? Yeah. It looks like a, Landry just got, uh, <laughs> just fell out into the ether. Yeah, he did. I, I just, I just texted him. He's coming back. All right, cool. So, uh, microdosing is taking what's, uh, J- Dr. James Fodeman, uh, calls a sub perceptual dose. So it's, taking a, a minuscule amount of a psychedelic substance, usually uh, psilocybin mushrooms or LSD at a level where you basically are not feeling any of its effects, any of its traditional sort of psychedelic effects. Many people actually, I, th- I believe uh, Albert Hoffman, the inventor of LSD said that had it not been so harshly scheduled as a, as a drug, uh, that it would have been prescribed the way that we had prescribed uh, Adderall and Ritalin, mm. uh, because it it at very subperceptual dosages, like one tenth of a normal dose, which would be like a hundred micrograms. So it's one tenth of that. Uh, that would be the, the that for me, what that does is it it, it makes me feel uh, like I had a very strong cup of coffee. Or like I had uh, an Adderall pill because I was prescribed those when I was younger, when I was about 14, but without any of the uh, negative effects of that. So like no jitters or no come down. It's just a, 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 a light boost in mood and focus. Hmm. Okay. So, and, and I know that that's like discussed a little bit more openly, I guess, than, than just kind of what what normies I guess would consider like abuse of psychedelics um, is microdosing like becoming mainstream. Do you think? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think cause it's, 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 it definitely f- is easier to fit within our current, um, you know, economic and societal model of, of the way that things operate. So it's like, Hey, take a little bit. You're not going to trip. 
You're not going to, nothing's, nothing's going to happen. You're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to feel a little bit better at, you know, going, going to work or interacting with people. You know, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's like a mood boost, cognitive enhancement. There's a lot of people in Silicon Valley that, that really are like all about it as like a cognitive enhancement tool. You know, people talk about it for creativity, for focus and things of that, things like that. I think it's more approachable. It's less scary to a lot of people. Um, and I just think that it's only because we're still recovering from, uh, we, we're still in the war on drugs mm-hmm. and we're still recovering from the, you know, dare propaganda and all that kind of stuff. But I'm confident that within time, with enough education and information, people will look at all psychedelics uh, equally and approachable and not scary. Um, what was the fight for decriminalization in Denver like? Uh, it was great. It was amazing. I, I, in, it was a true grassroots effort. It was young people, old people, people of all ages and races. And it was just everybody getting together, uh, for a common mission to educate and inform people about psilocybin mushrooms, their, their benefits, um, everything about them. And we were just like armed with all the data from all the most legitimate sources that we could get and from endorsements and and whatnot and walking around, knocking on people's doors, going into stores, putting flyers up and get, making sure that people, when they got their vote in the mail, when they got their ballot in the mail, that they, that they uh, voted to approve it. And they did (laughs) by a, by a, a little bit. And, um, it's been great ever since. It's been really, really nice to have not have the fear of being thrown in a cage like an animal for, yeah. for putting something into your body that, you know, someone else might not fully agree with, but you're causing no harm to anybody else, right? I mean, it's like, who would have thought? But, uh, but it, yeah, it was really good. What has the community been like uh, since, since Decrim? I I don't really know. I mean, there's been there's an organization that's working with like the city council to to sort of come up with I guess like a more of an understanding as to what to do and and things like that. But as the law stands, it's no uh, no resources will be dedicated to uh, arresting anybody or convicting anybody for uh, personal possession of psilocybin mushrooms. So uh, that's great. And then so they're just kind of like you know, working a little bit more towards like being on the same page in terms of what happens. There's the Denver Mushroom Cooperative. That's a cooperative organization that's teaching people how to grow mushrooms, uh, which is really great because as Landry was saying before, like the, the whole process is really empowering. You know, you, you learn how to grow, you find out what to do, you meet other people. But really, I mean, the pandemic kind of shut everything down because it was the vote passed in, in April in May of 2019. And then, you know, shortly after it was kind of like, okay, now nobody can like meet anymore or whatever. So there's, I guess, a lot of online stuff that was happening, but, uh, but I would say that it's, it's just, it's still at the early stages. I think in the, in the next like coming years, it's going to be more normalized. I mean, we look at the way cannabis is here. It's, it's great. I mean, just, it's just not even really, it's not an issue. It's not something you walk outside, you smell weed in the air. It's like, Oh, great. It's good to be back in Denver. <laughs> All right. Uh, Landry is rejoining. Welcome back friend. Oh, he's still connecting. There he is. 
Hi, okay. welcome back. All right. so, I, I, knew, I, I, I knew there was a freeze because I, I was looking, yeah. but I thought we all froze. And then I was like, okay, Landry froze. All right, now he's back. Sorry about that. All right. No, no problem. We, uh, we were just talking about kind of what the, what the world's been like in Denver since, since they decriminalized mushrooms. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, People basic- have less fear. Yeah. yeah. People have less fear. Like more people are asking me uh, about them. And more people are interested, you know, um, I, I sat for someone, I, I, I do that. Like I'll trip sit for people. Uh, this guy who's a veteran and, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff and he wants to start like a veteran community of people that are mm. learning how to grow psilocybin and work with psilocybin and make it kind of a, a bonding kind of thing. It's great. I mean, it's really great to see. So, and then I was just saying, uh, Landry, that the pandemic has kind of like, um, you know, it it wasn't like it was when we were working on the campaign. When we were working on the campaign. The community was out and about. I was like going to meetings every night. You just saw people all the time. Everybody was talking about it. It felt like it was everywhere. And then it kind of slowed down a little bit. But I, th- I feel like it's reemerging. I got the that's the poster right there. Decriminalized mushrooms, May seventh, twenty nineteen. That's awesome. Okay, I was out of that. Did so there were. So there are like a lot more in terms of like social organizations that are kind of growing as a result of like this decriminalization status, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and there's just generally, I think, less fear among people and and more interest in people that were like, oh, I'd never really done it before, but I heard it's decriminalized. So, right. you know, I'd love to learn how to like grow. I love when people say I want to learn how to grow because like you were saying before, it's just like it's so empowering. It's, it's such a fun mm-hmm. process. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm just learning how to grow vegetables, so maybe it'll uh, maybe that'll be my next project. Um, yeah. So speaking of the sort of cultural acceptance of of psychedelics, one criticism, and you know, I mean, we'll take it with a grain of salt, I guess. But it was Alex Jones on the Joe Rogan show. Um, he made the point that when psychedelics kind of gain critical mass or gain widespread acceptance or widespread use in a culture, that culture then tends to develop a religion centered around human sacrifice. And right now we're seeing all of these political movements that bear striking resemblances to religions and they don't have a huge path to redemption. So that's a little bit scary for me. Uh, ease Ease my worried mind. So what you're saying is you're well, I'm I'm not sure if I understand Psyched, psychedelic well movements there, there's over there's overlap in especially you know obviously South American traditional religions um, where human sacrifice is uh, is ritually ritualistically used and psychedelics are ritualistically used. I mean I'm not I'm not really familiar. the only one that comes to mind is like the Aztec civilization. Um, I, I can't really think of anything else and the other thing that that i would say with that is alex jones is fucking insane (laughs) like (laughs) why why would anybody listen to me i'm insane it's uh (laughs) i mean but 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 he also does say a lot of things that are that have merit to them but i think he's i think he's off on this one i i don't yeah i mean i don't i don't see anything with that yeah. I mean, we already live in a human sacrifice culture. Just look at the military and the incarceral state. If anything, psychedelics are going to help not deploy people and not put people in prison if we can take it apart, you know? Um, so I would say that's a stupid argument in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Great point, Landry. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Good. I'm, I'm, my, my worried mind is eased. Thank you. And also thank you for the Alex Jones impression. That's why we brought you here, Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and, and then uh, like another Alex Jones, but this is, this is also a little more widespread, I guess. Um, criticism or worry or whatever is that doing psychedelics re- re- like uh, lifts the filter between our brains and reality. And it might be a little too much of a red pill. Um, Alex Jones thinks it opens you up to aliens and interdimensional beings. Um, maybe don't go that far. What uh, are, are there, are there drawbacks to this? Um, does it make us a little too human? I guess. Mm. I mean, I would say that there's drawbacks in the sense that if you're in power, there are drawbacks. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. If you are benefiting off the current status quo, then these things are the antidote in terms of changing the status quo, then yeah. So so people who are maybe, and then from centers of power, like people who are maybe more conservative in the sense of like, they like things as they are now or have, or they used to be, right? Then yeah, then maybe you should be a little bit worried. Um, but I think, and this is something I've been writing about recently is that we are currently living in an era that's uh, in a lack of imagination and a lack of belief, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think people truly believe the convictions that they hold they say they do, right? I think when people say, you know, uh, abolish the police and then they walk it back and say, oh, we're talking about budget cuts, you know, it's like everybody <laughs> is, everybody doesn't really believe the premise of what they're saying they say or they mm-hmm. say they believe, right? So for me, I think we do need in this present moment where it seems like, the whole world is just pushing towards like a global progressive hegemonic state ran by corporations, right. That are in cahoots with this management that we do need some imagination. We knew we do need a change of the status quo. I think going towards the status quo is going to kill us all probably. So um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there are drawbacks it's for the fucking people in power. Yeah. So. Yeah. I can, I concur with that hundred percent. Yeah. I think that it's, um, you, you, I think you, you said like a, a, a lifting of, of the veil. Is, yeah. is that what you said? Like something yeah. like that. And yeah. I think that, I mean, that is what it, that is what it does. It's just none of the, none of the bullshit and lies and, you know, sociopathy and psych, like we, we have to heal that from our species. And I think that psychedelics can play a major role in that because the, it, 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 makes you more human. And when you're more human, you have more empathy, more compassion, you see yourself in others, and you have more tolerance to accept ideas and ways of being that are different from yours. You're more likely to say, hey, go ahead, you know, have your thing, do what you want to do. We're going to do what we want to do over here. And, you know, it's all good. You know, let's just be more peaceful and nonviolent. I think that psychedelics can definitely help with that. And that is a major threat to the establishment power systems that rely on fear and separation and demonizing and dehumanizing the other. Um, and, uh, you know, the advertising and the pharmaceutical companies and everything that benefits off of the current way things are. Um, yeah. So I see nothing but, uh, good things, but it doesn't mean it's not going to be messy. It doesn't mean you're not going to have, you know, charlatans and cults and it doesn't mean that it's not going to be messy. It's going to be messy. Transformation is messy. When everything is revealed, it's going to be a little messy, but we're going to need some, some wise navigators to help us through. 
I mean, yeah, I think this is this is the core function of the state, and that you know what what it really does at the end of the day. And this is bringing in some like Foucauldian postmodernism, but it sets the reality that we live in, right? It limits what is even possible, what you could even imagine, what you think you could even partake in, right? And going back to like the Egyptian pharaohs, right? Like they're gods. Here are our giant pyramids. Fuck you. You're a slave, right? So where do we see these artifices? Where do we see these symbols? Where do we see these things that are keeping people in line and keeping people uh, not looking at power, but looking at each other, right? And that's what psychedelics does is that if there's anything that can be more uniting, and yeah, as he says, more, uh, as Mike says, more make you more human, it is psychedelics, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, just add to that. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. Well, um, Mike, as you know, the resident expert-ish, I guess. I mean, you're you're a you're a podcaster on the subject anyway. Um, for someone who has never done anything with psychedelics before, they don't even know how they're consumed. Um, how does how how would you like step by step recommend that if they're interested or curious, uh, they get into it? Yeah. Uh, well, I I guess I would say look to now now that we have a lot of mainstream publications that are putting stuff out i would say that's probably a good place to start because it's a, it'll be a little bit more palatable to somebody who's outside of things and it's naive but there's good there's good websites there's good organizations out there i mean i can you know list them all or people can contact me and i can tell them where to go uh but uh but yeah i mean i i guess i would just say educate like just educate yourself really thoroughly and try and find really good sources for to educate yourself with also see if there's any psychedelic meetups in your town or in your wherever you live see if there's any organizations at your school um i know there's a psychedelic club in uh one of the universities here so you know find find the others find other people that are wanting to talk about this stuff and um you know it, maybe it's a facebook group maybe it's a real live group um but yeah i i would say that you, you your path is going to be your path it's going to be unique and different but um but there's a lot of good stuff out there and um yeah it's 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 pretty easy to find nowadays awesome Landry, anything to add to that yeah, I'm just, it's, they're tools, so you better read the instruction manual. So <laughs> you can you can get that in a lot of ways, as, as Mike's just detailed, so yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there. Um, Landry, since Mike got to introduce himself first, why don't you uh, plug your substacks and anything else you want to you plug away at? Yeah, um, Landry.substack.com, Landry underscore creative on Instagram, if you want to see my, any of my photography and get up to date with my writing. Uh, and then see me and James in person at uh, RU Texas um, in October. So uh, nice. with uh, Thaddeus Russell, okay. <laughs> and you can you can probably click James's uh, affiliate link in the you description. You know, or I'm going to put my affiliate link in the description. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, and then Mike, where can people find you? Yeah, find me on the internet. Uh, Mike Delic, Mike Delic podcast, Mike. Brank is my website, B-R-A-N-C. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, just uh, that. I mean, I, I put out uh, podcasts. That's mainly what I do. And uh, I have a YouTube channel, but I don't really do much on it. I've, I've just put podcasts out on there as well. Uh, so yeah, just just find Mike Delic or Mike Brancatelli. I'm, I'm out there. You'll find me. All right, cool. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Mike and Landry for joining me today. And thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. 
If you like what you hear on the Blackbird podcast, make sure you head over to blackbird.substack.com and sign up with your email address. I am releasing more and more written content that I know you're going to enjoy reading. And in addition to that, you'll also get email updates whenever I publish a new episode. And of course, you can also support the show financially at Substack. I really appreciate all of my subscribers. If you would like to sign up for a monthly or annual subscription, once again, just go to blackbird.substack.com. I'm also now accepting crypto donations at blackbirdpodcast.com slash follow. If you head over there, you will see all kinds of links for all the different tokens that I take. And if there is a token missing there that you'd like to donate, then by all means, let me know and I will set up a wallet and let you send it there. Of course, your financial support really helps me out in this project, but it also will be getting you benefits in the form of premium content here very, very soon. If you have ideas for premium content beyond just, you know, the the locked article here and there, let me know. Give me your ideas. I would love to know what you are looking for in a premium podcast offering, whether that's early episodes, my own reflections on the episodes, live streams, that sort of thing. Just shoot me an email or hit me up on Twitter or whatever. You can always email me by just hitting reply on the emails that you get from Substack or emailing directly blackbird at substack.com. That'll all go to my inbox. So that's it for this episode. Don't forget to go to buenterprises.com. Say hi to Juliet for me. And until the next episode of Blackbird, live free. (laughs) 